Welcome back, everyone, to Web3 Unpacked. I'm Rich Pasqua, and joining us today is Ido Benatin, co-founder and CEO, and Raz Nev, co-founder and CTO of Blockade, a Tel Aviv-based cybersecurity startup that wants to raise the bar for security in crypto markets with its proactive scanning technology. Welcome, gentlemen. Hey, thank you for having us. Thank you. Of course, of course. Uh, I've been wanting to talk to you guys for a while. We've been in the about a month or plus trying to, to organize this. And I'm glad I got you because you guys are pretty interesting and you've got a really interesting background that I want to share with our audience. Um, Ido and Raz, you're both alumni of the Israeli Elite Cyber Intelligence Unit. That's pretty cool. Um, and, and, you know, talking about world affairs, cybersecurity, I think you guys are uh, poised to really have an edge on a lot of people in this in this um, in this universe, if you will. Um, so one of the things we like to do, guys, is I always personally like to, to kind of find out people's Web3 journey. What, how did it start for you guys? Yeah. So, um, you know, I think before even Web3, our journey started like as a technology journey, right? Um, you know, we, we joined these kind of cyber intelligence units. Oftentimes we like to say it's kind of like Hogwarts for nerds. Uh, you know, you have these, uh, you know, the country basically uh, takes, you know, some of the smartest kids um, through this pretty, pretty grueling kind of drafting process and essentially puts them in these kind of cyber intelligence units. Um, and during our time there, you know, both Roz, myself, the rest of the team, uh, we've assembled, uh, you know, we had the chance to, you know, um, uh, work on some of, you know, the most advanced, most sophisticated cyber intelligence operations, looking for different vulnerabilities and modern operating systems, browsers, things like that. And over our time there, you know, we were exposed, to, you know, various different kind of technologies, various different things, some of them also kind of in the space that we're operating in. Um, and, you know, that's when we fell in love. That's when we understood, you know, the amazing potential, but also saw how kind of, you know, attackers can utilize some of these different things. And uh, um, and so soon after our release, you know, we knew we wanted to do something in the space. And it was only a matter of, uh, you know, starting the company and, and, and starting the work that we've been doing for a while. Awesome. Raz, I guess you guys had the same journey, right? Very similar. Yeah. Um, basically, Ido and I met um, on our first day into the mm -hmm. army. Um, we both wanted, we knew we wanted to start uh, uh, companies after the army. And then during our time there, uh, we understood uh, we should do it together. Mm. And, and what about like crypto in general? I mean, you know, you guys could be in cybersecurity and not really care about, you know, the economics of it, which I highly doubt. But um, how did you, you know, when were you introduced to it? Like, but even was it before uh, the Israeli army? Yeah, so I think our deep dive came during our time there. Um, although uh, you know uh, it's been around a little, a couple of years before, um, and uh, and and so our deep dive really came there. Um, and I think from us, it comes really from you know uh, the place of you know just being a couple nerds that really love the technology. Um, and so you know, there's the economics of it all. Of course, you know that's that's super enticing um, and super interesting. 
But from us, you know, we look at, you know, crypto as, you know, a fundamental layer of technology that's, you know, able to do a lot of different things. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, the deeper we got into it, um, you know, the more and more in love, the more and more in love we felt with the technology. Yeah, that's great. And it's a wonderful pedigree. I mean, you guys are young guys just starting out and you have like a pretty intense amount of cybersecurity knowledge under your belt immediately. So um, I, I see the reason why you instantly started a company, which is, is really cool. Um, and it's much needed. Like this world is, it's much more detailed than uh, the 2.0 world. There are so many um, back doors and loopholes that you need to look for, which we're going to get into in this podcast, which is awesome. Now, can you just, can you guys just give us a little bit, kind of the high level overview um, of Blockade and we're going to kind of break it down a little bit more as we go, but just give us the, the 40,000 foot view. Yeah. So I think that the very high level description will be at Blockade, we're helping um, any company operating in crypto or Web3, protecting their users from hacks, phishings, uh, and scams. Mm. Great. All right. So good. And we're going to, we're going to break that down because what you guys do is um, if you're in this world, either as a passive investor or you're building on the blockchain or you're a big, you know, DeFi company or whatever it may be, it's all important. And we've all been affected. Every single one of us has been affected by it. So that's awesome. And we're going to dig into it. Um, but one of the interesting one of the interesting dynamics that that I want to go, go into is kind of like peeling back the layers of a cyber scam. And that could come in the form of, you know, as you mentioned, Raz, uh, phishing or, you know, uh, it, it just plain, you know, brute force attacks, backdoors, whatever it may be. And we've seen Vitalik Putrin getting hacked. We saw um, Ledger's um, Connect Kit get uh you know uh compromised or exploited uh over the past couple of months and so on and so on and so on there's been a lot of it can you kind of give us a case study or a use case of like how these guys do this how what are the the what's the autonomy of it anatomy i should say <laughs> yeah. yeah so i think oh um yeah i think i think in general um as you said, like there are a lot of like different ways to like, uh, uh, unfortunately, to perform like, uh, uh, you know, like malicious uh, incidents on uh, crypto and Web3 in general. And it, can, and it can vary between, you know, uh, exploitation in smart contracts, um, keys that got compromised or, you know, phishing uh, uh, and scams. So I think particularly uh, 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 we should dive into the, the last thing I said, which is like uh, scams and phishing. Um, which basically uh, they all have the same principle of trying to get the user to sign on something uh, that will hurt them or that will get an, uh, their assets drained away from their wallets. Now, in order to do this, there are you know a lot of like different uh, methods that attackers are using, starting from you know uh, building a site that is very similar to a known protocol site, uh, but just under the hood. Um, tries to, instead of doing the original uh, 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 operation, uh, which the original protocol is doing, um, you know, just drain away your wallet. Um, there are other ways of like airdropping your wallets with malicious tokens. Um, 
and unfortunately there there is a lot of like creativity in these areas um if you want to talk specifically on like a, a use case i guess we can uh, uh cover uh the ledger connect kit incident which is uh in general a part of like a, a lot of like attacks we're seeing recently around front end of regular uh, uh dapps that are being compromised um and inside these incidents there are attackers that just put malicious samples of code inside the original front ends and then uh as a user that came to do uh their stuff on a regular protocol site now they're getting drained away um so on the ledger incident you know um the attackers find their way into the uh, uh into you know uh, uh different sites by um injecting a malicious dependency that is a dependency that is used a lot with a lot of applications and a lot of dapps and they were able to deploy their malicious code into a lot of applications you know sushi.com hey xyz uh, z and and you know uh, unfortunately the list goes on and on um and this code sample uh just prompted the user to sign on uh, a signature that eventually will drain their wallets from assets. Um, so I guess this is one case study. Um, we have a lot of these. You mentioned Vitalik. Um, so, uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's, <laughs> you know, speaking of airdrops, I think in the last two months, I, I literally thousands and thousands of on, on X, uh, formerly Twitter, uh, tons of inbound messages tagging me and others, just thousands of them. And the unfortunate part about it is, in my eyes, is, you know, I have friends and colleagues that are doing airdrops and you you just, and it, it, it's a flurry and you don't know who to trust. And so you just don't trust anyone. So. It, you know, it, there is the potential of it, and I don't think this will really happen, but it's going to slow the market down, you know, the the, the whole influx of, of airdrops and the nature of airdrops down. I, it just, it's like everything else, false information in the news, um, and then you're getting bombarded in, in a, you know, uh, uh, in an industry that you love and you want to participate in and you do. But now, now it's you. You just feel like you're going to be compromised in any any sense. So it's unfortunate that that has to happen. And I think you know guys like you, um, helping to build kind of the cybersecurity infrastructure, if you will, because it's you know it's we're in our infancy right now, right? So I think you guys are starting off good. Um, it, you know, hopefully these things will just be, there'll be stop gaps and, you know, um, that'll help people within their wallets or whatever, uh, or alert them. Uh, you know, I don't want to say like a McAfee, but, <laughs> um, but something that's always on. Right. So, and we talk to other cybersecurity companies here in the States and, um, you know, they're working on active and I know you guys are as well active, um, kind of scanning, if you will, uh, of people's wallets and transactions. And that brings me to, um, there's like a ton of features within blockade that, um, I want to kind of go one by one if we can, I don't think we'll get to all of them, but there are some really important ones here that if we can just kind of unpack them a little bit, um, starting with, you know, uh, proactive 
threat detection. So as soon as I read that, I was like, wow, that is what the world needs, right? Um, what, what is it? Can you help us understand that a little better? Yeah, um, sure. So basically, um, you know, coming from a regular security background, we believe that as soon as you find and detect a threat and notifies the user about it, uh, the better, right? So I can give you an example. So like, uh, uh, you know, when there is a new wallet drainer or if there is a front end that got compromised, uh, agree with me that it will be uh, much better to detect that the site was compromised or about to be compromised 24 hours before rather than 10 hours into the incident where the majority of the losses uh, have already happened. Uh, mm. And this is exactly the thesis we're operating uh, on behalf. Uh, we we want to detect any wallet drainer, any front-end hack, any new site that impersonating another protocol on the get-go as soon as uh, uh, these are deployed. Um, so, for example, in the Vitalik incident, uh, we were able to detect the sites um, that were published after Vitalik's Twitter account was hacked more than 24 hours before um, they were even published there. On the Kevin Ross incident, which I don't know if uh, anyone is remembered at this point, uh, which took place, I think, one year ago, uh, we were able to catch the exact wallet drainer um, that um, attacked Kevin more than 48 hours before he even connected to the site. Um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's impressive. Yeah. Wow. So I think... While we're saying proactiveness, this is what we mean, you know, like finding the threats as soon as they are deployed, um, not mm. one minute to the incident, not 10 minutes, not, not one hour before the first user even connected to the site. Mm. It's almost like precog, precognitive. Um, you're reading people's minds. That's great. Um, if you've seen that movie, it's whatever it is. Um, so that's fantastic. Um, and, and, and these are the, the types of things that again, we all need. I don't care who you are, we all need it. Um, now, are you using AI to help kind of vet some of these threats? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, we're building um, detection models based on a lot of data that is aggregated both on and off chain. Um, so, you know, also in, I guess, generally speaking on like um, our industry, um, people are really curious to understand uh, the reason for things flag the way they reflect. So I guess to a, you know, to a novice internet user, if you would tell them, hey, this thing is malicious, they would probably um, just move on. But on our world, um, so people want to understand exactly what are the reasons that you flagged something as malicious, which also implicates on the way we're building our models. So like our uh, AI models should be able to like uh, export the different features and the reasons for us flagging something as malicious and not just give a final result of, hey, this transaction is malicious or this domain is malicious. So yeah. Mm. Awesome. Uh, and that's a great way to use, use AI for sure. Um, now, one thing, you know, being in the, 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 the design industry for, for a very long time, I've designed app applications, native applications for Android and Apple. Um, now with the advent of dApps, right? There's no real store you can go to, right? There's no one above a, a lot of these protocols that are releasing these applications. So, you know, at, you know, 
Apple is a walled garden, but they do a great job of kind of vetting a lot of malicious activities that are baked into applications. How is um, Blockade preventing malicious software or backdoors in dApps? Yeah, so I, I think, you know, one thing you mentioned Apple kind of, and you mentioned dApps, right? That no one's on, you know, there is no overlord of dApps, right? I think that's the beauty of, you know, open networks versus closed networks, right? Um, and one of the things that, you know, draws everyone and, and primarily us to to this ecosystem, right? That we have an open by default network that is, you know, substantially more valuable than a, than a closed by default network. Um, and so, you know, the difference with an open by default network and a closed by default network is um, on, on a closed network, you can essentially decide what's in and what's not, right? Like how an Apple does, right? But with mm -hmm. an open network, you know, everything is 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 fair game um, unless it's doing something that's malicious, right? And so, um, you know, Raz mentioned, you know, um, how we build different models, how we build different heuristics, heuristics and things like that. And primarily a lot of the work that we do is looking at what's happening across the network um, and finding irregularities and patterns and kind of activity that that is common across kind of, you know, malicious actors and uh, taking that data and using it to kind of feed that back into our different models that Raz kind of mentioned previously. Um, enabling us to, you know, block this kind of malicious activity in these otherwise open by default networks. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's definitely very, very interesting. Um, and, you know, it, it's much needed. And we, we, uh, we work with uh, protocols that are building applications. And uh, to your point, it's all open source. And it's fairly anonymous, you know, the the developers just are, you know, a pseudonym uh, on the in, in, on the internet. They want to be paid in crypto, which is all fine. Um, but what they've done is developed um, a system of checks and balances for their code, right? And they're actively. I could tell you guys, a lot of these protocols are actively looking for cybersecurity guys just like you to help them do an even better job before it even gets out. So all of their releases, right? You know, double and triple check. How do they do that? And that's a big question because a lot of developers these days, they, they're very excited about Web3. They develop, they develop, they develop, they built this monster. They, they become fairly successful. Um, but then it's, oh gosh, uh, you know, we need to have some kind of um, uh, security protocols. Uh, in place. And uh, sometimes it's overlooked or a little, you know, it should be done day one, basically. Um, but that's, that's really good. That is, uh, and much needed. Now we touched on phishing, phishing scams or attacks. Um, you know, fake websites, all that got emails, anything else you want to add to that? As far as phishing, because it's the most annoying in my book, but yeah, so I think, um, yeah, you mentioned like uh, uh, fake sites, uh, front and that are compromised, emails, Twitter account, Discord, you know, everywhere that there is like traffic, there will be um, attackers looking for hunt. Um, also, we talked about like airdrops, so like malicious tokens, like uh, mm -hmm. incoming transactions. We're seeing this as like a new attractive vector for these attackers. So like not trying to attempt you to, attempt you to browse to a specific site, but also airdropping you a, a token, taking advantage of the fact that like, you know, everything is on chain. Someone can understand exactly what are your balances and if you're a good target to attack. And if so, they can just shoot an airdrop over to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the, those, like I said before, those are so, 
they're malicious, but they're really, it's all very annoying too. And it's, again, you have to kind of second guess everything. So, um, you know, hats off to anyone who's, who's helping to secure that world. Now, the other part, and one, perhaps one of the biggest parts of Web3, right? As an average consumer uh, or an average user, what do we use? We use our wallets every single day. We're transacting, we're flipping, we're swapping. We might even be buying things. We're paying for services, whatever it may be. You know, if there is a, a compromise to happen, it's gonna happen in a wallet, either in issuing the, the app itself or in the day-to-day -day use of the app. How do you, how do you help people store their content and secure their content? within their wallet yeah so I, I think you know um in the past you know we've seen a lot of these kind of private key compromises and things like that and and, and you know um, um in a bunch of bogus kind of wallet apps and these kinds of things i think more and more today and, and the primary focus of of, uh, of of these kind of attackers is less so on kind of you know attacking and targeting these wallets specifically in the custody model uh which which you know are are are, are, are virtually kind of very 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 solid um, but rather kind of, you know, um, finding flaw in human error and kind of, you know, uh, convincing people into signing these kind of malicious payloads and utilizing, you know, uh, uh, social engineering tactics and kind of phishing tactics to kind of extract value in this kind of way, very, very similarly to, you know, some of these other attacks and, and, and kind of using more and more sophisticated methods, similarly to how Raz kind of mentioned, you know, the ledger connected attack, right? These are totally legitimate domains that users have trusted, you know, for years and interacted with. And all of a sudden, you know, uh, hundreds of them compromised instantly um, and users coming in to, you know, do similar swaps, right, that you've kind of mentioned on SushiSwap, for example. And all of a sudden they're getting a malicious payload from a website that's otherwise really trusted. Um, and so that becomes a very, very difficult thing for users to, you know, comprehend, for wallets to defend against. Um, and ultimately, you know, um, you know, you said it earlier, right? Um, really hurts our kind of uh, ability to operate in this space and even more so hurts people's ability to enter the space, right? When, um, when even the websites that, you know, you, you go and use on a daily basis are entrusted, um, you know, then, then you really kind of rely on kind of the, the wallets that, that you have uh, in place and the technologies, uh, uh, you know, that we're building and embedding and, you know, some of the biggest wallets in the ecosystem um, to, to really protect you from, from uh, these kinds of compromises. Mm, yeah. And, uh, you know, uh it's important for our audience and a lot of people know this already, but you know, you're not just, you don't ha just have currency in your wallets. You have NFTs, right? So malicious NFTs, those are actual applications, right? They're, they're very, some of them are smart. Some of them aren't, but um, they are smart contracts. It is built it, with code they execute certain things, whether for marketing or entertainment or finance or whatever it may be, that's super dangerous. Um, and, you know, just talking to you guys, I'm like, oh my God, how many NFTs do I have in my wallet that are, you know, have a, a disease or something or a backdoor or something. Um, it's really important for, for people to understand that, you know, if you, if you don't know the organization and you don't know the person it's coming from, don't touch it. You know, don't take the free downloads. It's it's, and that's the that's the part of the adoption, um, uh, you know, that you were you were getting into. 
is people are going to get scared off. And day one, like, you know, we start with the NFT craze, you know, people are just downloading things all the time and they're filling their wallets and they're collecting. And that's, that's cool. We want you to do that. But it really does all of these things ding the adoption curve. Um, and, and it's unfortunate. But I, I think it's going to get cleaner. I think we're going to, you know, within the open source world, we're going to have a, a cleaner environment, a safer environment. So um, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I also think um, that like an experiment we would like to have um, is like tell people, go to your wallet, open your um, NFTs tab and see how many spam and even potentially like malicious tokens you have there. Um, if it's not a wallet using blockade, the answer is you'll see tens of these. Um, so yeah, uh, it is like a major problem. Mm. You're, so you're you're having people report back to you saying we've got you know, you know, compromised NFTs. And, and if so, which I think you are saying that, um, how often does it happen? Yeah, it's something that happens very often. Um, and even, you know, for people within Blockade, you know, just general people that are reaching out via um, Twitter or other platforms. Um, if you're a user that has a lot of assets, uh, like on-chain assets, you will be targeted on a daily basis by um, these scammers because they just have, you know, some automation systems that just query um, the chains they are working on. And then if they're seeing a user that holds an and assets that are valued on, you know, above a certain threshold, they will just like airdrop them over and over and over again. Oh, wow. Now, um, do you have a specific, uh, you know, if you're using Blockade as a tool, right? Um, and I'm, I'm guessing, you know, if you're an institution, you know, most likely you have to have it, right? You have to have something like this. But as an individual, um, are you, how, what's the balance between, you know, working with corporations, um, with high volume and high traffic and high visibility versus an individual? Yeah. So we work with some of the biggest consumer wallets in the space, right? Um, just to mention a few, right? MetaMask, um, Rainbow, Zerion, and a bunch of others, right? Um, mm -hmm. and so our, our recommendations, right, for a consumer would be to use some of these kind of, you know, consumer wallets. Uh, that are really security focused and, you know, work with, you know, with us uh, to uh, to essentially, you know, protect their users uh, in the first place. Right. So, um, you know, I think uh, it's the responsibility of the tools we use to keep us safe. Um, and uh, um, and so that's ultimately, you know, um, our best recommendations. Mm. And within within the wallets. Right. So if I as an individual see on my MetaMask where I'm, I'm, I'm being fished or I'm being I'm trying to get hooked right here. And is there a way for me, is there a reporting mechanism? Even if like you don't use uh, blockade, is there a reporting mechanism uh, that that's in place? Yeah. So, uh, you know, today with uh, um, the wallets that we do work with, um, so, you know, uh, we work with, directly with them and any kind of reporting that you do with them. Um, uh, you know, they, they collaborate with us to kind of protect their users in that same regard. Yeah. So I think what I would do instead of you is first of all, like um, probably the, like the wallet you're working with has like some like customer support team. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a lot of our, uh, uh, our customers has like a, uh, like major customer support and a lot of them have knowledge in security. Um, 
So it's actually, I think, something that is very unique also in uh, our ecosystem, which uh, mm -hmm. support teams are actually aware of security and can help people. Um, and in general, for us as Blockade, so we're getting, you know, like a, a, a lot of messages uh, via our Twitter. So feel free, you know, just like to DM us on every incident you see. Uh, we would love to help. Yeah, that's great. Um, and it's important for our, our listeners to to understand that, you know, you can use Blockade because actually, you know, one, you're better protecting yourself by just being aware. Number two, every inquiry you guys get goes into a database, right? And that is filtered and you use that data. So don't be shy, reach out, right? Um, so that's great. And I'll personally start doing that. Um, now, one other thing that I, 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 you know, I'm fascinated and I've dabbled a little bit with DAOs, right? Just trying to set one up, understand the organization of it and how to architect it a little bit and basically create a, a government's and governance environment, right? For you and a community. Uh, how is blockade? Because it, it gets very detailed, right? And there's so many little parts, moving parts to a DAO um, is fascinating, but how do you control that? How do you um, uh, implement security uh, protocols for that? Yeah. So I think in general, like uh, it is correct that like DAOs can be very complicated and the decision-making process can be uh, distribu distributed uh, uh, across a lot of people. But in the end, if you think about it, in the end of this process, like the final result um, of every uh, decision is a transaction. And this transaction is sent on chain um, and it does some changes. Um, and these changes are based on the decision um, that the DAO has made. Um, mm -hmm. Now, if you're looking on the problem in this way, uh, and if you're capable of like analyzing every transaction that is, uh, you know, emanated from the DAO or like a, a, a contracts that the DAO is uh, uh, interacting with are uh, uh, getting, you'll be able to, um, you know, like detect the, the relevant places uh, uh, and isolate, you know, the actual part that matters than the, the process that happens before. So by mm -hmm. specifically looking on this important part, on the part of like transacting, of like making the actual change, if you will monitor it and we'll be able to understand its implications and whether it is something that uh, will hurt the DAO or, or has any, uh, uh, you know, security risks, you will be able to, um, you know, like uh, make the process simpler and make sure, you know, nobody's hurt. Mm. And, you know, Raz, when you say transaction, um, I think it's important to for our audience to understand that it's not always a financial transaction. And in, in the in the case of a DAO, it's it's actually voting and voting rights, correct? And that if that's compromised, that's it's kind of what we see in the United States every election year. Um, you know, machines are compromised. The ballots are stuffed, um, you know, whatever, whatever you subscribe to. Um, that's super interesting. So people can have their votes stolen or things could sway the Dow in a radical uh, different direction. 
which is really, really interesting um, because a lot of people are, they're not even building in economics just yet. They just want to use it as a governance and a governance model and a, a hierarchical system um, that's open and trusted, right? And collaborative. So really, really interesting. Yeah. Um, I think this is a great like uh, uh, emphasis of like what transacting means. Um, and yeah, like, I guess that the word, uh, transacting might be confusing, but mm. you know, transacting is pretty much equivalent to executing code on a regular device. And like, similarly on how, like, uh, I don't know if you'll execute, uh, if you run an application on your personal computer or on your mobile device, um, transacting is the, is the exact same, uh, uh, thing. So maybe transaction is not a good name, but like. Yeah, it's it's a good it's a good uh, emphasis you did you did yeah. Mm. So yeah, I um you know I've been trying to learn a little bit like DAOs are like um you know just when you think you have a grasp on Web three or blockchain you know the idea of it then there's DAOs and it's whew, it's infinite. Um so wow very interesting. One of the things I like to learn about uh, w with protocols and applications, um, like yourselves and, and meeting the founders and the innovators behind a lot of these products and tools is what does your team look like, you know, globally, uh, the amount of them, um, obviously you don't have to give total specifics, but what does it look like? Because again, I think you guys, you and I were, you guys were, were talking, um, we, we were talking before we jumped on. And, it, you know, people always talk about, oh, the coins are going up and everything else, but they don't really talk about the industry that's being built. And I think that is one of the more special things behind blockchain, behind Web3. What does it look like for you guys? Yeah, so definitely agree with, with kind of the sentiment around, you know, uh, we oftentimes joke about this, right? It's like, I don't, I don't think uh, people building on AWS really care if the stock is, uh, if Amazon stock is up or down. Um, but uh and so you know we're 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 building around kind of the technology and you know prices go up prices go down um so so yeah the team is primarily you know built of mostly engineers and security researchers um based out of kind of uh, uh based out of israel uh, in tel aviv you know some of the best kind of security researchers the space has ever seen you know people who have found vulnerabilities in modern operating systems browsers things like that people you know Roz and i have served with for years and years um that have taken, you know, all that know-how and are now applying it to, you know, solve some of the toughest security challenges in crypto and in Web3. Um, and, uh, uh, and, you know, following our Series A and following kind of, you know, um, you know, a lot of kind of momentum with a bunch of customers, uh, we've we've grown out the team substantially as well um, into the U.S. and and uh, uh, and have kind of uh, uh, grown out those kind of go-to-market functions as well. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's great. So you you guys are in growth mode, and and this is this you know this is what we were talking about earlier. People don't understand that things are moving fast, and twenty twenty four is not just a Bitcoin ETF. It's right. really about the people behind the computers, behind the servers, and the the nodes. It, it, it's it's fascinating, and to me, that's the most exciting part. And it's the biggest thing that people are not talking about, which thank you for sharing that because it is important. Um, it's important for the world to, to understand. Um, so, uh, okay, so that's super interesting. Um, love that. And um, you're, you've got, you guys have some 
really, really big names. MetaMask, as you mentioned before, OpenSea. Um, who else are you working with? So our audience knows that, you know, hey, these guys have a hold on the industry here. Yeah, so uh, we announced during our funding announcement a couple, you know, marquee customers. Of course, there's a lot more um, behind the scenes that we haven't yet announced. Um, but, uh, you know, we're working with some of the biggest kind of wallets in the space, uh, primarily, you know, MetaMask, Rainbow, um, Zerion, and a bunch, a bunch of others. Um, you know, we work with some of the biggest apps in the space. OpenSea is one of them, for example. Um, I guess those are a couple we can mention. Um, but, mm. uh, you know, we will, be, we will be doing a lot more announcements with a lot more customers really soon. Yeah, I can't wait to to hear that um, <clears throat> because these are the products that you know. If you're in Web three, these are everything that we're using. OpenSea, Meta, obviously MetaMask. Um, I'd love to see you guys hit every single wallet. Um, you know, obviously there's competition out there, but you know, and and predominantly, I mean, you're you're a global presence, right? But where are your customers really coming from? Are they more North America or European-based, Asia, EMEA? Yeah, this is a good question. I think, you know, Web3 is a pretty global space. Um, you know, uh, of course, you know, I think uh, there's a lot of great technology companies in the U.S. Um, and so a lot of our, the customers we work with have offices in the U.S. Um, mm -hmm. but we spend a lot of time in Europe. We spend a lot of time in Asia. Um, it's always, you know, exciting to see, you know, new developments. Um uh, uh, happening across the space and, uh, uh, and seeing kind of really how global this industry is, um, more so than other kind of sectors. Mm. Yeah. And with that said, you know, as far as, you know, cl the client roster, which is, is impressive to start with, which is awesome. And again, we are in our infancy. This is great. If you're attracting those names right now, man, that's, that's good stuff. And you guys, have raised an impressive $33 million so far. I mean, I'm, I think I'm free to say that, but, um, and if you're like most of the web three, uh, protocols or, or applications out there, it's a, the VC machine is going, you're always looking, right? So what does that look like, uh, for you? And how, how is, because a lot of people listening in are either starting their own small protocols or, or applications, and it's, if I hear one thing, it's fundraise, fundraise, fundraise. What does that look for you guys? And, you know, it seems like you're off to a good start. Yeah, you know, I think um, what I can say is basically, you know, fundraising is, uh, um, you know, a function of success. Uh, you know, you, you, you work with some early customers, you have some great traction, you build out technology. Um, and at least from our experience, you know, uh, um, um, you know, great investors will come. Hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, it's a show don't tell kind of thing. Um, and, you know, I would say because I'm in the the, the brand and marketing world, um, don't be shy about sharing case studies because you guys have real case studies and it'd be very easy for you to spin up Web3 or cybersecurity case studies. And you should do it because that's what people are, are kind of hungry for when they're researching companies. So that's great. Um, now, as we wrap up a little bit, um, do you guys have any events coming up? Because one, I'd, I'd like to, to see you IRL, and I think a lot of other people would, and we'd love to hear, you know, you guys talk or your team talk about this. Where Anything coming up? 
yeah, um, I think, you know, uh, the soonest thing uh, coming up uh, primarily for us um, is, uh, um, is around Denver. Uh, we're going to be there. A lot of the teams going to be there. Um, we have a lot of events coming up, um, and I think it's going to be really exciting. So, uh, you know, if you're going to be in Denver, if anyone from your audience is going to be in Denver, uh, you know, we'd, uh, we'd love to meet up there. I do like Colorado, so you just never know um, for skiing for the, for the most part. Uh, <laughs> um, and tech conferences, actually. It's a really good place for that. Um, now, one last question, maybe a little loaded, but I always like to ask these type of things. Within cybersecurity, what do you think the next six months to a year, maybe two years looks like from you know, future tech or just trends? What does it look like? Yeah, I, you know, I think cybersecurity is a game of cat and mouse. Um, you know, uh, uh, you know, builders build and attackers try to break, and so um, you know, we're we're constantly you know uh, uh, in this kind of never-ending chase where we try to stay one step ahead, and they find some some other place, and they move to the point of least resistance. And so um, you know, I think uh, um, as long as the incentives are in play, and as long as you know they continue to find new ways to create value in these networks that are just value networks. Uh, they'll continue to uh, um, to do so. Uh, on one hand, it's an unfortunate reality, um, but I think it's our responsibility as an industry to push them, you know, uh, to uh, um, to to places where uh, where you know it's more and more difficult for them to to do so. Mm. Yeah, and I think the I think the term cat and mouse is very appropriate because it is. They'll launch something and they'll try and exploit it as much as they possibly can. And then once it's squashed by, you know, cybersecurity or, or whatnot, they're on to the next thing and then the next thing. Now, with that said, and, and I should have asked this earlier, but um, does Blockade have like a repository for developers, uh, you know, whether you're a CEO or a developer or a lead engineer, to kind of tap into on a daily base, basis, maybe with alerts, and maybe it has a, an educational component to it so that these, you could further through code, through clean code, uh, thwart some of these attacks. Yeah, so at the moment, um, we're mainly uh, interacting with people that are interested uh, uh, in blockade before. But there are going to be a couple of surprises uh, uh, during this year. So um... great. Not only helping with cybersecurity, but also educating up and out uh, across the industry, which is very cool. Um, and that's the nature of Web3, share and community building. So uh, we appreciate that for sure. Um, and we talked about uh, some of the conferences coming up. And if you're in Colorado, guys, girls, go go check them out because yes, cybersecurity, maybe not the sexiest thing, but it actually is pretty cool when you understand what's going on, how to protect yourself and the technology that goes behind it, which is excellent. Um, where can our listeners learn more about Blockade? So feel free to um, visit our site at Blockade.io, uh, our Twitter account. We have a lot of blogs um, coming up. Uh, and of course, feel free to uh, reach out. Yeah, great. Um, and I certainly will. And I hope we can have you guys on because as you guys mentioned uh, on again, I should say, you, as you guys mentioned, it's ongoing. This is never going, it never, if there's one thing that's never going to go away, it's just criminal activity. 
Um, so we're going to have to do follow-ups. Um, and we'd love to, to track the progress. Uh, you know, it's a wonderful thing that you guys are doing and service that you're providing. Um, and I would encourage our listeners and viewers to kind of tune in and check it out um, and get involved or, you know, use the product or even, you know, s sign up to be a de developer, perhaps. Who knows? Um, so th we thank you so much for joining us. Um, we know that you guys are all over the place and it took a little bit while, a little bit of time to kind of get this organized, but I'm glad we did. And we look forward to having you back. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Rich. Thank you yeah. so much. Thank you. Yeah.